You know, it's funny, Rob. Yesterday on the John Campia Show, we were talking about DC fandom and what we can expect to come out of the upcoming DC fandom. I believe it's coming in October. And what we can expect. And we went through this whole list of properties. And then we talked about Green Lantern Corps. And beside it, we had some question marks because we're like, okay, so they said they're doing it. They've made several announcements, but we haven't Mm. heard anything about it in a while. So I don't know what the status of it is right now. Uh, I don't know if they're going to talk about it at DC Fandom. Well, timing was perfect because 24 hours later, we do get an official announcement. And that is American Horror Story and Versace American Crime, uh, Finn Wittrock, has been cast to play the Green Lantern known as Guy Gardner. Now, of course, Guy Gardner is not one of the more popular ones. Like he's, you know, he's not Jon Stewart and he's not, uh, you know, the the big prime Green Lanterns, but he's a guy that'll often come up. Guy Gardner is a bit of a dick, but he's a lovable dick. I love the (laughs) Guy Gardner Green Lantern. I really do. (laughs) I mean, I'm not nearly as interested in the Guy Gardner Green Lantern as I am in the other prime Green Lanterns, primarily the main Green Lantern. But uh, this is an interesting, particularly because, like I said, just yesterday we were talking about this and we just didn't know what the status of this project was. This is the first bit of like real concrete development that we've seen for Green Lantern in a little while. And it's very promising. Now, look, I got to tell you, Rob, I don't know Finn's work. I don't watch American Horror Story. I never watched Versace. What was it called again? Versace American Crime. Was that the name yeah, of it? Yeah, he was great in that. I heard. I've heard nothing but great things about that show. I've heard or about that that's that's uh, that story. I've heard nothing but great things about it. I just haven't seen it myself. So I am very light on how much I know about him. So I can't give any commentary about whether I think he's a good fit for it. If I even think he's talented, clearly, I think he's got a couple of Emmy nominations. So clearly he's talented. But more importantly, we now have official movement. This thing is still going. It hasn't been lost, uh, gone by the wayside with all these other big announcements coming out, which is pretty exciting. Rob, you hear they finally uh, done some casting. We've now got our guy Gardner, which is interesting that we're even getting Guy Gardner in there. What do you think about this development? Look, I think it's great. Uh, you know, I've loved Guy Gardner. Uh, for me, it goes all the way back to the mid-80s Justice League International series that was a more comedic series. And there's a very famous scene where Batman takes him out with one punch and it becomes a <laughs> running joke. And, uh, you know, uh, Guy Gardner is, as you put it, the he's he's the lovable douche, <laughs> Green, Arrow, <laughs> Green Lantern. And I, I, I think it's I, you know, it's I like his outfit. I like he's kind of got this 80s. I like the 80s version with the flaps and like the chains and the belt. I he's got the bowl go haircut too. that bowl. Yeah, haircut. I, mean, it's, I, I, I think, though, as an actor, uh, he's going to really pull off. Guy Gardner. I wonder if they're going to dye his hair orange. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see. Now, don't uh, unless notwithstanding people getting confused here, this show is not going to revolve around Guy Gardner. Right. This is going to be a show that spans several decades. It's going to go all the way back to the original Green Lantern, Alan. I keep forgetting the the original Green Lantern's name, Alan something or other, who is actually like one of the first gay characters in in DC. 
Uh, we're going to get Jon Stewart, and we're going to get in who is, to me, the Green Lantern, which is Hal Jordan. So we're still going to get these things, too. This is going to go from the 40s to the 80s to modern day. Like, the exact specifics of it, I'm not sure. But they've got one of the pieces in place now. They've got their guy, Gardner. So it shows, it shows us this Green Lantern thing is moving forward, guys. Question is for you. Do you know Finn's work? What do you think of him as an actor? I, I'm very light on my knowledge of him as an actor. Do you guys know it? What do you think of him as a performer? And what do you think about this whole thing about Green Lantern Corps officially finally getting some things going? How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You know, Rob, I've been saying for a while that maybe the the sleeper streaming service, because when we talk streaming services, we talk... Netflix, we talk HBO Max, obviously we talk Disney Plus, but to me, one of the best in the game right now is Amazon. Amazon Prime is like killing it. And one of the things they've been killing it with lately is Invincible. And last night was the Invincible season finale. Like we talked yesterday on the show about the fact that Invincible just got officially greenlit for two more seasons, which is fantastic news. I I have loved this show. I think they've done such a great job with it. And now they are moving forward with two more seasons. Got a chance to watch the finale last night. And I just thought we'd take a minute here. We're not going to go into a full spoiler discussion on Invincible. But I thought we would at least take a minute to give overall thoughts on the season. And I will say this. Not surprising to anybody. I have loved this season. Mm -hmm. I have loved it. Because... In the midst of it being a superhero property, in the midst of it being gritty and R-rated, ooh, they say fuck, woo! Like, in the midst of all the blood and gore and all that kind of stuff, they have made a great story with great characters that they give depth to and you get emotionally invested in and they give weight to the episodes and they give consequences to the episodes and they kind of balled it up into like a bit of a mystery package as well like what the hell is going on with Omni-Man and anybody who Uh read the comics of course knows what's going on with Omni-Man but the finale last night and again I'm not going to go into full spoiler details you guys if you saw last week's episode you know it ends with Mark and Omni-Man now, father and son, face-to-face, and, you know, Omni-Man's going to come completely clean with him about his origins, about what his true mission is, all this kind of stuff. And all I can say is, from a storytelling point of view, like, my wife and I watched this last night, and Anne, she, had, she said, the, she used the word devastated. Like, she was devastated <laughs> as the events were unfolding and what was going on and horrified for Mark and understanding the scope of what Omni-Man was really doing and what he what it was all about. And it was awesome from a visceral point of view because there's lots of blood and gore and, and action and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, all that would be meaningless and all that would be visual noise if it wasn't for the fact that they were building it on great storytelling. There was story being told, Rob, in the action. There was narrative right. being laid out in the midst of the destruction. There was, you know, all that stuff was being built around telling a great story. And when you do that, you create something very special. I can't imagine being more thrilled uh, with how this season went. It it was very different from a lot of the other superhero fare that we have out there. The story was fantastic. The characters were great. I cannot wait for season two. I don't give numerical scores 
for things, Rob. I, I, I haven't given numerical scores for things in, in my reviews for, for years now. But I will tell you this. Uh, it, if I did give numerical scores, it would be high. My, if I gave a score for Invincible Season 1, it would be a large number. Uh, I, I couldn't be more thrilled about it. I couldn't have found it to be a more satisfying season finale where they did what a season finale should do. Bring closure to a story that's been told while opening the door and introducing us for where the story is going to go next. And that's what this show did. And I thought they just crushed it. Anyway, Rob, I know you haven't had a chance to see the finale yet itself, but what have been your overall impressions of Invincible uh, now that we know we're getting more seasons? Well, first, while, you know, they've changed some of the um, uh, the actual incidents, the order of things, I think it's a terrific adaptation of the comic series. Very faithful, really well done. And what I've really been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you get the violence that you expect. <laughs> nice photo. Um, no, I, I I think one of the things I love about it, I love the cast, the voice cast. Yeah, they've been great. I mean, it's just a really, you know, the animation at first, I was a little iffy on just because it was, well, it was very much, it was very realistic, you know, I, I, I but it looked like the comics and after you know halfway through the first episode, I'm like, wow, this is this is really great. It's really. But let's call it what me. is the, the animation. Let, let, let's be honest. The animation does feel low budget. I mean, I mean, the, I mean, it does feel lower budget, which I completely, I start to ignore that just because the story being told is yes. so great. You know what I mean? But yes. let, but you know, let's be fair. It's it's not the highest quality, most expensive animation you can get out there. No, and and but then again, it's a TV animated series, and they are going for a very naturalistic, realistic look. I mean, it's not like manga; it's not highly stylized or anything like that, and or, or anime. And it has a look; it has a look that's its own identity, and I like that. At first, I was like a little eh, but then I was like, nope. And then as the story has unfolded, they've done it. I think a terrific job. I mean, even if you don't. If you don't dig animation, but you like superhero stories, it's still great. Like you forget after a while you're watching an animated show as you you get really involved with what's going on. And and I I think it's a terrific series. I have yet to watch the finale, but I know it's gonna I mean I would assume that the there's a revel there's a revelation that would happen. I would assume it happens in the finale. Um and if you have alluded to as much, and I, I won't say what that is because I've read the comics, but I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and it's done really well. And, and overall, I just think this this has been a great... I didn't know what to expect from it, to be honest with you. Um, I knew a little bit about the comics. I knew a little bit about the overall story of it. But I, I didn't know whether I thought it would translate well into a show. Dear heavens, Amazon kills it again. Amazon absolutely kills it again. Question is for you guys. What have you thought? about Invincible Season 1. I think it's been an absolute complete win. How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with the main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should have as a main topic here on The John Campius Show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, 
you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by the real Jack Burton, who writes, Hey, John and crew. I think I remember you saying you are a Roku and YouTube TV user. I am. I am a user of both, actually, in the past. I am, too. I got an email the other day from Roku warning me that YouTube TV could be leaving the device soon uh, as the two are currently in a negotiation dispute. Have you heard about this? I know it's two companies fighting over revenue, but how serious could this uh, be to happening? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Jack. And um, guess what? It's escalated. Just in the past four hours, in the last four hours, I as a Roku user and as a YouTube TV user have gotten an email both from Roku and from YouTube TV, and it's escalated, and it's escalated to this. Roku has removed YouTube TV from their app store. Now, they also announced, uh, they did a lot of finger pointing, both sides have. Now, Roku is saying, look, we want to continue to support our users, if you already have YouTube TV, we're not going to remove it from your Roku. You can still use it. But they said, we have removed it from our store. So if you delete YouTube TV, you're not going to be able to get it back. So wow. they're going to, so I, so me as a Roku user, you know, I have two things. I have Roku here in my studio and in my bedroom. I have a Google Chromecast with Google TV in my living room. So I'm going to be able to continue to use YouTube TV here in the studio and in my bedroom. That's not going to be a problem for me as long as something doesn't go wrong with the app. But this has gotten serious. This comes to us from the folks over at TechHive who talk about the email that Roku sent out to people. Now, this is from yesterday. They sent out the updated one today. But in the email, Roku essentially accused Google of being a bully using anti-competitive tactics to manipulate search results, increase costs, and affect how their data is used. Roku then proceeded to make its case to the press, describing a list of seemingly outlandish demands that Google had made as a condition of keeping YouTube TV on the platform. The ostensible goal was to create a public outrage, both among users and a government that's increasingly wary of big tech monopolies. Now, Here's one of the things that Roku was talking about. I noticed this on my Roku. Google wanted to, has forced Roku that if you do a search for something, one of the results, among the results you get is an entire row of results for what you're searching for on YouTube. Like if I'm looking for something else, I just want to see what app it's on. You get YouTube, Google kind of forced them to put in an entire row right near the top of, where you get on YouTube. They wanted preferential treatment and results from searches to go to their services and things like that. And by the way, Rob, like you often say, it's not friends, show friends, a show business. It's all about what right. you negotiate. Yep. And every company wants to try to negotiate an advantage for themselves. I don't blame YouTube or Google for that, not whatsoever. And I don't blame Roku for saying, eh, we're not into that. We, we don't want to allow that. And they've had this clashing of heads. And of course, then today it escalated. I'm going to see if I can find this. I'm not sure that I can. Um, Yeah, here it is. Let me see if I can bring this up here for just a moment because it it may be interesting. Uh, Give me one second. But Roku, like I said today, they then sent out uh, an email to people 
that basically said the following. I'm going to try to bring this up here. Uh, this is the email I got. Uh, Dear Roku customer, we are disappointed to share the news that Google has chosen to let the YouTube TV contract expire. While this news is unfortunate, we wanted to let you know that we are taking an extra step to ensure existing Roku users like yourself retain access to YouTube TV while we, wor uh, we work to reach an agreement. So Google and Roku are, are continuing to negotiate behind the scenes. And we will always stand up for our users, which is why we cannot accept Google's unfair and anti-competitive requirements that would allow for the manipulation of your search results, impact the usage of your data, and ultimately cost you more. Uh, they go on and on. We are Robin Hood, ladies and gentlemen. This is what Roku is saying. We are Robin Hood. We are here to stand up for the little guy, for you guys. We're here to stand up for you. Now, of course, YouTube then put out an email completely contrary to that saying hey listen we have been we have been putting forward completely fair and rational things we have only asked for certain things that Roku has allowed other companies to have and blah blah and YouTube is making its case so look a, a deal is going to get done rob this was like HBO Max and Amazon Fire Stick right a deal's going to get done there because there's just too much money on the line for both so they're going to get a deal done who who blinks first who has to compromise more? I don't know. I don't really care. But at some point, there's going to be a deal done. But Rob, this emphasizes something. Now, and this is why I, I decided to make this the main topic today. And you and I talked about this a little bit off camera. But the streaming wars we know are already a little bit messy. But for us consumers, this could get a hell of a lot more messy. And I yeah. thought we should talk about that here a little bit today. So if you will indulge me, let's step into the Campia classroom for a second. All right. We're in a streaming wars mess. There are actually two parts of the streaming wars, Rob, that you and I have talked about. One is the streaming uh, services. This will include things like uh, Netflix, the service, uh, Disney Plus, the service, uh, Peacock, uh, if I, you know, if I spell it right, who cares? Peacock, the service, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the first part of the streaming wars is, of course, you know, the streaming services, you know, Disney Plus, HBO Max, uh, whatever the streaming service you like to use is. But what we don't often talk about is the second part to us being consumers and customers of streaming, which is the streaming platforms. We're talking Roku. We're talking uh, uh, Chromecast. We're talking Apple TV. We're talking Amazon uh, Fire Stick, etc. Stock, stock, uh, uh, etc., etc. Right. So there's actually two parts to this. So you got our streaming services, and then we have the platforms in which we use to access those streaming services. They are two sides to a very important coin. Now, all we ever talk about around here, understandably so, is the service part. I'm watching Disney Plus. I'm watching Invincible on Amazon. I'm watching whatever on Netflix, right? And up till this point, other than the, the dust up between HBO Max and Roku and Amazon Fire Stick, you know, when HBO Max stupidly launched without being on the two most popular platforms in the world, we haven't really talked about the platform part. 
But Rob, this could get this new situation with YouTube TV as our streaming <sighs> TV option and yeah. Roku. This could be a harbinger of how this thing could theoretically get extremely messy, complicated, and completely convoluted for us, the consumers. Yep. Here's how. Google has its own platform. We forget about that. Google has its own platform. So they have YouTube. They have YouTube TV. They have the the Google Play services, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so they're a streaming service, but they also have a platform in the Chromecast, right? So they have uh, Chromecast. I can't remember if there's an E in Chromecast. I don't care. Chromecast. It was spelled like that. Deal with it. <laughs> Amazon has its own platform, right? The stick or I keep saying stock, the stick or fire or whatever else you want to talk about. They have their own platform as well, which of course came up largely uh, in the whole HBO Max thing. Well, Apple has its own platform. Not a lot of people use it, but it's the Apple TV, right? So here's already three companies that have the streaming service or various streaming services, and they have their own platform. Netflix, Disney, uh, HBO. These are big, big players that do not have their own platform, right? Here's where it could get very, very messy for us. What happens if Apple, or let's say, what's another one? Let's say, let's say Amazon uh, decides no other streaming services on their platform. What happens then? <laughs> now, now there are, Rob, there are anti-competitive laws in place to protect consumers and stuff like that, but we must remember this is new territory we are in right now. And even though there is anti-competitive legislation in place, there are always competitive loopholes that are put in there. I'm not saying this is likely. Keep this in mind, though. But as we see these disputes happening between HBO and Amazon Fire Stick, as we see these disputes between YouTube TV and Roku, there is a danger, however unlikely, to quote Star Wars, there is a danger, however unlikely, that we could be heading into a situation where not only do we, we, as the consumers, have to decide on streaming services, we may we may have to also decide on platform because right now we kind of live in a situation, Rob, where pick a platform and we can pretty much get all the streaming services. You know, if you use Roku, you can pretty much get all the streaming services. If you use the Amazon Fire Stick, you can get all the streaming services. I think NVIDIA, help me out in the live chat, guys, but I think NVIDIA also has, I think it's called the NVIDIA Shield, it, that if I remember correctly, is like it's supposed to be a really great device. But if you have the NVIDIA Shield, you can pretty much get all the streaming platforms. You know, if you have your smart TV, odds are your smart TV probably has all the streaming platforms. But what the hell happens if the streaming platforms start to become exclusive as well? What happens, Rob, if 
Disney introduces uh, the, I don't know, the Disney Plus Ultra Super Stick. What happens then? (laughs) And Disney says, guess what, guys? If you want Disney Plus, this great service, Disney Plus, well, you need the Disney Plus Ultra Super Stick. And they give you this little stick and it comes to you. And all of a sudden now, if you're a big Disney Plus guy or a big uh, Disney Plus person, your Roku becomes a paperweight. Your Amazon Fire Stick becomes a paperweight. Your smart TV becomes a paperweight. And then HBO Max says, uh, hey, guys, congratulations. Good news for HBO Max News. We are introducing the uh, HBO... uh, Dongle of the gods, the HBO dongle of the gods. And it's this little dongle device that you attach to your TV. And that becomes the only way you can get HBO Max. And then what happens if Peacock comes along and says, good news, Peacock. We, we, you know, these other streaming platforms, they don't give you the optimum streaming service. So we are happy to announce today the Peacock uh, uh, dick enlarging uh, super duper, uh, streamer, um, F U model Z. Okay. Th- that's what they're calling it. The Peacock. Cause this is about as stupid as their regular name. Peacock. Anyway, the Peacock Dick enlarging super duper streamer F U model Z that, that is their thing. And you got to get that. And now what happens here is Disney has a streaming platform that they completely control. I mean, there could be advantages to that. They completely control it. They can control the the experience. They can make sure it's properly, perfectly optimized just for the Disney Plus streaming thing. HBO Max, same thing. They now have their own platform. They can optimize it. They can have full control of it. And this is a nightmare for people like me who I am a streamer. I, I, love, I love watching. I love having one device that I can just watch everything on. Now, again, I am not proclaiming, Rob, an apocalypse. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. But what I'm saying is these little dust-ups that we're seeing, and remember, we're only at the start of the streaming wars. Yep. We're going to start to see, I believe, the streaming services wanting to control their whole ecosystem. And if you don't think that, Apple, who half of my household income is provided by Apple. Thank you, Apple. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, uh, Tim, for supplying half the income to my home. I appreciate that. But Apple, I mean, if you look beyond the Apple TV, they completely control their whole uh, ecosystem. If you want the real benefits of the phone, you also got to have our laptop. If you really want to be integrated with what's going on, you need to have our tablet. And if you really want it all to work well together, you also got to have our iMac. I mean, they've complete they've completely mastered the whole system of creating your own ecosystem. And you might start seeing that, and that's going to make it very, very difficult and more expensive for us as consumers. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. There are legal protections in place, but they can be circumvented. Anyway, that was a really long way to go on this. But Rob... When you look at situations like this with Roku now saying they're dropping YouTube TV from their store, what's stopping them next month from from dropping Peacock from their store? What's like, how am I over worrying about this, which I have done from time to time, but am I over worrying about this? Do you see this potentially becoming complicated? What do you see down the road for this and what worries you? Well, I mean, you, you laid out scenarios that are definitely a possibility. And I think, look, 
you know, with all of these different streamers, if they could figure out ways to limit you even further, they will. And I think that there's got to be a, a situation where people are not going to put up with that. Like if the streamers all need individual pieces of hardware, like you said, dongles to work, that's going to be a huge problem because where do you plug them in? You're supposed to like, every time you want to do a different streaming service, you're going to plug in a new dongle into your TV to get that service. I mean, that's nobody wants that. And, and yet that exclusivity could definitely be, I mean, that's something they might, I, I could see a scenario where that could happen, John, where, where something like that could be, uh, the ultimate end of this road for the streaming battle that's going on. And I, I, you know, I, these disputes that happen seem to be counterproductive because ultimately it's the consumer that gets hurt. Yes. You know, and, and that's, that's the real problem. I mean, look, we want to, I want to be able to stream. I like my Amazon fire stick. If I want something on my Amazon fire stick, I download it. It's right there. Whether it's shutter, whether it's HBO max, whether it's Amazon, whether it's uh, Netflix, it's all right there. Tip of my fingers, I can jump around. It's great. Works great. But that's, look, man, if I had to get up out of bed at like, say, three in the morning and be like, uh, what, what, what do I want to watch now? If I want to watch that darn cat on Disney Plus at 3 a.m. because I'm having insomnia, I don't want to have to walk over and swap out some piece of equipment uh, in the back of my TV in an HDMI port or whatever. And uh, although Disney Plus could be they could get their subs- 200 million subscribers. They're like, guess what, everyone? Now all of you need to get our own dongle that comes with its own remote control and all that. So you wind up with 20 different remotes for every streaming service. That's a nightmare scenario. But, I mean, I could see them saying, well, it's more secure for us or whatever the hell they'll say. But it's not something I want to see happen, let me tell you that. Uh, yeah, and again, this could get really messy. I hope they figure this out. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Right now, it's a limited co- conflict between Roku and YouTube TV, but this is a becoming a recurring story. It was an issue yep. with HBO Max and Apple Fire Stick. It was an issue with Roku and HBO. I, I mean, we've seen it happen before. I'm worried it could happen a lot more. How do you guys feel about this? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Space Spanking writes, Hey, John, Deadline just reported that Viggo Mortensen, the amazing Viggo Mortensen, Kristen Stewart, and Leia Sadow will star in David Cronenberg's sci-fi thriller, Crimes of the Future for Neon. I love this cast, and the synopsis makes me more excited. What do you think about this? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, I always get excited when you hear about a really interesting filmmaker. And Rob, if there's no other way, if there was no other way to describe David Cronenberg, it is an interesting filmmaker. Uh, when you combine an interesting filmmaker with incredible talent, and obviously Viggo Mortensen falls into that, and now they've announced that they've got a project coming together. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, Kristen Stewart and Viggo Mortensen will star in David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. The story, listen to this, the story of a popular performance artist whose shtick involves growing new organs in his body. The film is set in a distant future where humans have evolved beyond their natural state and into a metamorphosis, altering their biological makeup. 
In this setting, a performance artist named Saul Tenser embraces accelerated evolution syndrome, sprouting new and unexpected organs in his body. Removing those organs becomes a new kind of theater, one that earns a following as well as the attention of the government. And that, of course, comes to us from the folks over at Variety. You add Leia Sadow in there, and listen, uh, Kristen Stewart, think what you want about some of the movies that she does. She's a very, very good performer. She's actually a very good actress. I don't think she's as good as Robert Pattinson is, but both her and Pattinson have actually grown into like really good performers, even if you don't like the individual stuff. <coughs> Charlie's Angels. Even if you don't like the individual projects they're in, she's actually a very, very good uh, actress. And this, Rob, this sounds as David Cronenberg as a David Cronenberg story can possibly sound. This sounds like right up there. When you're talking about the guy who did The Fly, when you're talking about the guy who did Crash, I love Crash, by the way. It is so psycho. People get sexually turned on by car crashes. It, but I yep. think the movie's amazing. When you're talking about this guy, I mean, he can do so much. This sounds right up his alley. Rob, you've heard about this now. What do you think about the sounds of this project? Oh, you know, I did my whole show about this yesterday, John. Um, this is one of my most eagerly awaited movies that is being made right now. Awesome. I read, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge David Cronenberg fan. I discovered him in my younger days with his first feature. They came from within, a.k.a. Shivers, a.k.a. The Parasite Murders. I'm a huge Cronenberg fan from way back. I love his body horror movies. Uh, Shivers, The Brood, Rabid, Videodrome. Um, the Fly, Crash. And of course, he's Ringer. worked with Mortensen before in Eastern Promises, which yeah. was so good. Yeah, and uh, I'm a huge, huge fan. This screenplay, I read the script for Crimes of the Future about 25 years ago. And he had it, he was going to do it perhaps after Crash in the mid-90s, but didn't. And I actually met him at a screening. It was a, it was a, after Crash had won the award for audaciousness at at the Cannes Film Festival, there was a screening here at the Sunset Five, which then became, it's not here anymore, but uh, he was there. And I went up to him afterwards after the, to talk to him. And I mentioned in passing, I said, you know, I've read your script for Crimes of the Future. And he was not happy that I had read the script. And he asked <laughs> me, where, where did you, I said, well, I was, I was, I was a script reader at, at, at various agencies around town and I'm a huge fan of yours. And he was like, oh, okay, you know. And then he said, we're trying to raise the money to make it. This script is bonkers. I mean, it is so, it takes all of his body horror ideas and it, it's the culmination of existence, you know, all of it in one, in one thing. And it is, he, for those of you who know Cronenberg, he also made a student film, one of his, he made two that were, that were of some note, Stereo, and he made Crimes of the Future as a student. And you can get those films. I think Crimes of the Future is actually on YouTube if you want to watch it. He made that either the late 60s or early 70s. It has nothing to do with that movie. But it's the script is crazy. And it also deals with uh, what they don't mention. And if it's still a part of the script is that there's a law enforcement division in the script that is going after uh, crazy behavior that has yet to be classified as criminal. So when this syndrome happens and people start spontaneously generating organs and then this group is putting people on stage and surgically removing them and then like tattooing the new organs is something, it's just crazy. There's a cop that goes undercover in this group 
because he too is starting to generate these organs. And he does this to see, is there something criminal going on here? And I love this script. It is so weird and so bizarre. And I can't imagine what it's going to look like. Some of the things that happen when they visualize them on the screen. <laughs> but this could be the most David Cronenberg of all David Cronenberg movies. And I cannot wait, John. I can't believe this movie is getting made. And uh, I am so excited. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of this project? I, I, I'm going to admit, I am completely fascinated with the idea of it. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by W.H. Timmons, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Disney Plus is pretty much batting a 1,000 with two seasons of Mandalorian, WandaVision, and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I know you aren't super excited for Hawkeye. I am, but I wanted to know your thoughts on the new image of Jeremy Renner's more comic-accurate Hawkeye uniform. I think it looks fantastic. What are your opinions of it? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, of course, Disney Plus has been killing it. Mandalorian season one and two, WandaVision was outstanding. I loved Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, particularly the second half of the season. They've just been on a roll. Now, one of the many, many projects they have coming, of course, they still have She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Loki, Moon Knight, Armor Wars, uh, uh, Ironheart, uh, many, many more series to come. But one of those big ones is Hawkeye. And that they are either shooting now or they just completed shooting. I think they're still shooting it. I think they're still shooting it. Now, I have always loved, there's two characters in the Avengers that I've always loved being Black Widow and Hawkeye, but never been interested in standalone projects from either of them. And here we are, we've got Black Widow coming and we've got the Hawkeye series coming. And one of the other big discussions that often goes around, Rob, is just debating about, you know, costume looks. Should they look more alike in the comic books? Should they not? Obviously, this Hawkeye, um, not really comic accurate kind of costume, but I thought Hawkeye always looked good. I thought Jeremy Runners always looked good in the things. But they have now just released a look, at least Jeremy Renner got on social media and put out a look of his new thing, which if you've read the Hawkeye stuff, and I know uh, John Schnepp was a huge fan of the, this iteration of Hawkeye, was yep. a massive fan of it. So we have here Jeremy Renner putting out a shot from the set of Hawkeye in a, a uniform and costume that I'm not going to sit here and say is bang on from the comic, but is much closer to yep. that comic adaptation of Hawkeye. I'll be honest with you. I still prefer Hawkeye in all black. I think he just looks badass in that all black leather, but this doesn't look bad. This, this no, actually looks cool. pretty good to me. I mean, obviously, Jeremy's got himself in really good shape. You can just tell by looking at the dude. So he's got himself in really good shape. Rob, you've had a chance now to take a look at this image of uh, Jeremy Renner sporting the more comic-accurate version of Hawkeye. What do you think about it? Does it work for you? Yeah, I mean, I've really actually, from the get-go in Avengers, I've really liked all of the different iterations of Hawkeye's costume. Even the Nomad costume or the um, the uh, Ronin costume he had in Endgame, which makes a great hot toy. It's a great <laughs> hot toy, I got to tell you. Um, but I like this costume. I, I think it's still very Hawkeye-esque. I mean, I want to see all of it. Like, what does he look like when he's got his quiver on? But that looks, I mean, it looks functional. It looks kind of like the kind of thing that he would wear. And I, I really like it. I think it's neat. You know, I think that they've, I loved 
the costume, well, the uh, call it a costume, the uniform they gave the Winter Soldier in the series. And of course, while I might have some quibbles with the final new Captain America costume, I like that too. You know, and of course, WandaVision, when she has her more, co- it's so it's interesting that they're moving more toward comic iterations, like Scarlet Witch looks like Scarlet Witch, you know, and, and, and that was what we saw at the end of that series. So I find it pretty cool that they're pushing these characters more toward their comic iterations, which I, I'm there for. I think it's great. I mean, Scarlet Witch was always just kind of wearing clothes that the colors sort of were like Scarlet Witch colors, but now when they went full on Scarlet Witch, I'm like, yeah. Bring it on. So I like this. I think it's going to be great. I, I personally thought the Scarlet Witch look we got in the show was far superior than what we got in the comics. But by the way, uh, some people are like, asking, well, who's the girl? That's Aliqua. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Aliqua Cox, who's playing the assassin character Echo. And there have been whispers, Rob, that they may actually be doing a spinoff series for this yep. girl, for Echo herself so it looks like maybe echo and hawkeye have been in a bit of a scrap <laughs> it looks like it looks so i don't know which way they're going to go with that either way i think the image looks pretty damn good question is for you guys what do you think about the look of this new more slightly comic book accurate hawkeye outfit on jeremy renner there do you like it do you not like it do you not really care what it looks like jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down Let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Fiona G. And Fiona G writes, Good morning, John and crew. I am a major fan of uh, To All the Boys of Love Before, you and my wife both, Fiona. My wife loves those movies, uh, series, and not much of a He-Man fan. So when they announced that Noah Centrino was going, or or, uh, sent, 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 Centenio, uh, I always say Centrino, it's Centenio, was going to be He-Man. I got interested. I just read in a fan group that he's not going to be He-Man anymore, so I've basically lost interest. I can't find any explanation anywhere about why he's not in it anymore. Any info. All right. So, this has been an ongoing and an interesting thing. Now, it's got to be a couple of years ago now, Rob that they first came out and said that Noah from To All the Boys I've Loved Before was going to be He-Man in a Masters of the Universe thing. To which I said, really? What the hell? This guy's a buck 45 soaking wet. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> he was in, he's in great shape. Great looking kid. Um, I, I, I never watched at the time. I had never seen To All the Boys I've Loved Before and has made me watch all three. But at the time, I had never seen them. But clearly, good-looking kid. He's in good physical shape. But when you think of He-Man, that ain't yeah. what I think about. Now, fast forward a couple of years. All right? A couple of years of two-a-day workouts and 18 gallons of horse steroids. And we see picture. Of course, Noah is going to be in the upcoming Black Adam movie. And he looks, he's put on like 40 pounds. He's put on like 40 pounds. He still doesn't look anything like He-Man to me, but he has gotten in very, very impressive physical shape. Like yeah. that, that's the very, very impressive physical shape. Uh, he's obviously still completely dwarfed by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who has more of what I would consider to be a He-Man physique. Anyway, but whatever, he was going to be He-Man. Then we heard about these two brothers who were writing the screenplay, were apparently going to direct, and then radio silence for a long time. And somebody actually wrote in recently asking about this, and I said, I don't really know what the status of He-Man is. I don't even know if it's still on. 
Like they say they got their screenplay. They say they've got their directors on board. Noah apparently is still attached. Well, Noah isn't attached anymore. This comes to us. Oh, did I lose the side? I think I lost the side note. I did lose the side note. Where did it go? Let me let me try to bring this up uh, here in another way. Um, here we are. Okay, let's go to this. This comes to us from the folks over at The Wrap who writes, Noah Centino will no longer be playing He-Man slash Prince Adam in Sony and Mattel films, Masters of the Universe. In an individual, an individual with knowledge of the situation told The Wrap. A spokesperson for Centino confirmed that the actor is no longer part of the project, although no further reason was given. The Wrap has reached out to Sony regarding the status of the project, given that Centino joined the film two years ago. So that comes to us from The Wrap. Rob, mm. one of the things that is interesting about this is that even the rap is saying, we don't even know what the status of this project is right now. <laughs> right. So there are a couple of options on the table here. Option number one, scheduling conflict. It's been years since they announced he was going to play the role. They never got it going. He can't wait around anymore. Now that he's going to be in Black Adam with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's getting other offers. Apparently, he just got a new Netflix deal that he's going to be doing. So he said, okay, I got to move on. So that's that's one option. But another option on the table here is that this thing just ain't happening. You know, he, remember, they just put out said saying he's no longer attached to the project. Is the project even still going? Even the rap is saying we reached out to the studio to say, like, what's even going on with this movie right now? And it could be that once again, for the 14th time that a Masters of the Universe movie maybe has been shelved. Now, look, I, I, let's be clear. I am not sitting here saying that. Masters of the Universe, the He-Man movie, has been shelved. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that with nothing on the radar for a while, with now the star stepping down with no explanation, and with even a major outlet like the rap saying, we don't even know what the status of this thing is right now, and Sony's not getting back to us to tell us what the status is, I think we at least have to consider the possibility that once again, we've got a Masters of the Universe project that has fallen off the rails. Rob, you look at this situation. Noah's no longer attached. We have no explanation as to why. What do you think is going on here, and what are your thoughts? Well, I think you probably nailed it. I mean, look, if you get signed up to make a movie and years go by, stuff's happening in your career. And it's like, yay, you know, the old adage, uh, S or get off the pot. Uh, you gotta, you can't just wait around forever. I mean, life is passing your you by, and if you have opportunities to do other films, you got to take those opportunities. And uh, we haven't heard about any movement on this project. They've been, you know, John, I think I was hearing about a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe movie longer than they've been talking about a Flash movie. And there's so many different iterations of this project. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see it happening. I mean, how long? I don't blame him if he's no longer attached to this project. If you're not going to make the project, how long do you leave yourself attached to anything? Because, you know, you're either making it or you're not. If you're not making it, I'll go do something else. Or he'll go do something else. And I think that's what happened here. Uh, I agree. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this now new mess? Noah is no longer attached to play it. People aren't even sure if the damn thing is still happening. What do you think about Are you even still interested in a He-Man movie? I, I mean, listen, it has been so long. Is anybody even still interested in a He-Man movie? What do you guys think about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number five. And our fifth main topic today gets submitted to us by 
Michael Traverus, who writes, Actress Lupita Nyong'o just gave an update on Black Panther 2 and explained the way that they've reshaped the sequel in light of Bozeman's passing was done to honor him. What did you think of her comments, and are you more okay now with them not recasting Chadwick's role? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And obviously, one of the big topics of conversation over the last year or so has been Black Panther 2. What do you do with Black Panther once Chadwick Boseman uh, tragically passed away? Now, my position on this has still not changed. Uh, I believe the right thing to do is recast the role. You know, that is how, you know, Chadwick and and the MCU and Ryan Coogler created a culturally beloved character in T'Challa, brought him, well, they didn't create the character, but they brought this, this incarnation of the character to the big screen, became T'Challa is incredibly socially significant, incredibly important to a lot of people. They laid the groundwork and started this thing going. And I personally believe that the way to honor somebody's work is not to then kill their work. I believe, personally, I believe the way you honor somebody's work is picking up the damn baton for them and carrying on for them since they can't do it themselves anymore. That, to me, is the best way to honor somebody. That being said, I am actually okay with them not recasting because I know they're doing it from a place of respect. I disagree with the decision. I think the more respectful thing to do is to carry on the legacy, but I know their heart's in the right place. I know Ryan Coogler's heart's in the right place. I know Marvel's heart's in the right place. And so while I disagree with their decision to not recast, I respect it and just look forward to see what they're going to be doing moving forward. So we've been waiting anxiously to get some information on, you know, how they're approaching this and uh, the Academy Award winning Lupita Nyong'o, uh, one of the flat out best actresses in the world right now, uh, she came out, she was asked recently about, you know, how is this thing coming together? How is it moving forward? And, and she said the following. His idea, talking about Ryan Coogler's idea, his idea, the way which he has reshaped the second movie, because you got to remember, Rob, he had the second movie kind of planned out. I, yeah, I don't I think know. the I don't think the full script was written yet, but he had the overall idea about what the movie was going to do. So he had to go back to the drawing board. Anyway, uh, Ryan's idea, the way which he has reshaped the second movie, is so respectful to the loss we've all experienced as a cast and as a world. So it feels spiritually and emotionally correct to do this. And hopefully, what I do look forward to is getting back together and honoring what he started with us and holding his light through it because he left us a lot of light that we're still go- that we are still going to be bathing in i know that for sure this of course comes to us from nakia herself um lupita nyong'o who is of course star of the first one and she's going to be starring in the second one as well rob this is of course none of what we're hearing from her here is surprising i mean obviously ryan coogler worked very closely with chadwick boseman They all did. There was no doubt in any of our minds that however they decided to proceed with Black Panther 2, it was going to be done in as respectful a way as possible to the memory and legacy of Chadwick Boseman. Again, I think they should have done it a little bit different of a way, but I know their motivation is pure, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Uh, And personally, Rob, I've always thought, listen, if you're not going to recast T'Challa, which they totally should have, but if they're not going to recast T'Challa, 
Nakia should be the new Black Panther. <laughs> Nakia should be the ruler of Wakanda. If not M'Baku, I mean, M'Baku would probably be my number one pick. If not M'Baku, it should probably be Nakia. You know, leader of her tribe. She's an in, She's got international experience. She's a keen warrior, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, hearing from her that they're taking this approach, it makes me, as a fan, both of Chadwick Boseman and of the MCU in general and of this specific property, Black Panther, it makes me as a fan feel a little bit more at ease. I know that they're taking this project very, very seriously. I know they're taking how do we deal with the legacy of Chadwick Boseman very, very seriously. And I know they're going into it with all that motivation. And while I still believe, and I'll repeat it 50 more times, that I believe the story of T'Challa should continue on with the recast, I am yet still very excited to see what they do decide to do, what direction and path they do decide to take. Whether it's a brand new character, whether it's M'Baku, or whether it's Nokia, or whether it's Shuri, it shouldn't be Shuri, although she's one of my top three favorite MCU characters. But I'm very excited to see where they go. Ryan Coogler is simply one of the best directors in the world right now, Rob, so we trust him. Rob, you now hear these comments from Lupita. Where are you right now overall in you know, your, your interest in a Black Panther 2, and what do you make of the comments she just gave us? Well, you know, I mean, when we've had these discussions in the past, I've said I... I, I have always kind of thought of it as if they're not going to recast, which I think is an interesting way to go, there's a great story to be told. Who accepts that mantle? Like, and how does that happen? And are there many players maybe to be named later who are in the running to be the new Black Panther? We need Wakanda needs Black Panther. And I think that, you know, by honoring Chadwick Boseman and honoring his life, I've always thought that. De whatever happens, you know, that's like deal with that. People, people do get sick and pass away uh, unexpectedly. And if they could incorporate that, it would also honor his performance as the character. So in a way, I trust that we're going to get a, a very interesting story that is probably going to be very emotional for us as viewers and fans of the MCU. And we're probably going to be put through, I would imagine the emotional ringer a little bit. Um, but I, I'm, I'm from a, from a movie fan perspective and from an MCU fan perspective and knowing what we're, we're getting, I am, well, not knowing what we're getting, I am excited and cautiously optimistic about the direction the film could go in. And I, I'm curious to see, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. So let's, let's play fan speculation for, for a bit here. So we know they're not recasting. So that means somebody else has to take on the mantle Black Panther, which is what, you know, Wakanda has done for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, right now it's pure speculation. It's pure, obviously pure speculation. We have nothing to base any real opinion on. But as a fan, if you had to take a guess right now out of the following options, who is the Black Panther? Is it Shuri? Is it M'Baku? Is it Nakia? Or... Is it a brand new character? They bring it a, a, a long lost, not mentioned yet brother of T'Challa or, or something, whoever and whatever. So is it an unknown? Is it Shuri? Is it Nakia? Is it, is it uh, M'Baku? If you had to guess right now, which way are you leaning that you think they're going to go? A new character. And, right. and I think the reason it, as a new character, the idea of a boy becoming a king is an irresistible story. We've seen it in many different iterations throughout, throughout many different 
genres and things like that. And I, you know, I think about The Godfather. You know, The Godfather is really a story, Godfather 1 and 2, about, as Coppola said, a king and his three sons. And The Godfather is the story of Michael Corleone being somebody who is outside of the family business who has to come in and learn to be king, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and I think that what that's what we're going to get. We're going to get a new character and we're going to see that very um, classic story of somebody maybe who believes that they're unworthy or doesn't understand the mantle of the Black Panther, what it means. And we're going to see them by trial, uh, a fire of some kind, some crucible that they're going to have to go through to be forged into the new Black Panther. I, I think that's the way to go because one that that plays into the whole super heroic mythology and it allows our other characters, they're probably all going to have a part to play in the forging of this new character into the Black Panther. And I, I'm there for that. I, I love stuff like that. So bring it on. Of course, that's a lot of suppositions I'm making about the story <laughs> they're going to tell. But I mean, I think that's kind of where I'd like to see it go. You know, let me throw the uh, spitball at you here. Uh, I heard this one theory that I instantly scoffed at, but then I, the more I'm thinking about it, Again, this is pretty wild, but the new Black Panther will be T'Chaka. T'Challa's dead dad? Yeah, I read this this really elaborate theory. It was like three or four pages in explaining it, which it's never a good uh. theory if you have to write it out over pages. But <laughs> the whole thing about, you know, with all the multiverse of madness thing that's going on, what if a young T'Chaka, T'Challa's dad, returned and again it's 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 something that i initially scoffed at and is still probably pretty ridiculous but i thought about it for a second and went you know with all the crazy stuff they're doing in the mcu i wouldn't completely write that idea off i wouldn't it it, it keeps it in the family i wouldn't write it off completely so I, I don't know it's an interesting one anyway question is for you guys what do you think about these comments made by Lupita Nyong'o about how they're approaching Black Panther 2. How are you feeling about the the project overall as a story? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down, we're now going to spend the rest of our time today taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to throw in a comment or question, simply use the tip link that's in the description of this video. You can click on it there or simply enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll get your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you're supporting the show at the same time. Okay, let's dive in and start getting to it here, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Hot Rod Todd who writes, uh, you don't follow up a Godzilla versus Kong movie with a son of Kong. That's not ramping it up. To top it, there are only two options. One, bring in Destroya, or two, create the dream match of all kaiju fans have always wanted to see and get the rights to Gamera. Well, I mean, here's the problem, Hot, Hot Rod. Rob, I think it's a fallacy to think that any next movie has to ramp it up. Because if your whole philosophy is the next one has to ramp it up, then you're going to run out of anywhere to go pretty quick. Okay, so uh, next next one is uh, Godzilla versus Galactus. Be because how do you, like, if you look at what the MCU has been doing, <laughs> the MCU, part of the reason they've been able to keep it completely fresh and all the time is sometimes they ramp it up, 
Sometimes they ramp it back. They're constantly changing gears. They'll go from an Avenger saving the world, and then a little while later they're doing Ant-Man, where it's a dude trying to save his family. Right. And then they'll change gears again, and they'll do, we got to save a country. Then it's, we got to save a person. And then, like, they're constantly moving around. I don't know that if you're the MonsterVerse, you are creating a very short lifespan for your franchise if you're saying, okay, well, listen, we already have two kaiju, the most famous kaiju of all time, battling it out uh, in in the, the city. There's not much further to go, except now just throw in more and throw in more. Like... <laughs> Maybe telling a really good story that shifts gears. I don't know, Rob. What would your approach be? You know, it's a it's a tough one because the whole genre. I mean, if you look at the original Godzilla film, it was an, a really interesting take on sort of the post nuclear age in Japan having been right. bombed, the only country. So, you know that that whole storyline was kind of great unto itself because they, there was no larger monster verse it was one take and then they added movies like rodan which is my favorite kaiju movie of all time actually but i mean to me like one of my one of my favorites is godzilla versus the astro monster which they discover that there's an alien planet planet x or planet 10 and the aliens they're like hey can, can we borrow godzilla and rodan to, to to take care of our Ghidorah problem he's ravaging our planet and then of course these aliens <laughs> brainwash Rodan and Godzilla and Ghidorah and send them back to Earth to take over, to ravage the planet and take over. So I think adding aliens to the mix, you know, there's a precedent. <laughs> they've, I mean, they, they've got to figure out a way to make a human story and a, a um, monster story interact in such a way that it feels natural and that we're not waiting, like, enough of the humans get back to the monster fighting. Because that's what people want to see. And I, I thought, you know, I love Pacific Rim and I thought Pacific Rim did a pretty good job of combining the human story yes. and the, and the monster. So I really, Great point. I mean, cause it kind of was like top gun in a way. And, and it had, you've got to, you've got to figure that balance out because right now they haven't. And it, the human stuff, it was just annoying. And it was, just, I mean, some of it was okay, but for the most part, I'm like, uh, I'd rather just watch Kong roam around uh, during the, in the hollow earth. Even if he's not doing anything, just those great vistas and just chilling out like, yep, I can flip upside down because gravity's even though I don't understand how that's going to work. But it, it was cool in the movie. And I'm like, I would just watch these monsters do anything like sit by the lake and drink water. I, if, if that's what Kong wanted to do, I'd rather watch that than a, than a human character. And I think that what they need to do is figure out a way to meld the two effectively. Yeah, because I think your, your example of Pacific Rim is perfect because I cared about what was going on with the human characters. Yes. I liked the human character story and I loved the giant kaiju. Like they, It's not an either or, it was a both and. You're right. I yep. think that's a great example. They need to find a way to do that. All right, next up. Uh, we got Verisimilitude's Lost Sun writes, Hey guys, John, your analysis of Walker's not full redemption has tempered my contempt against Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thanks. I still think the ending was kind of shallow, but my God, the MCU excels in carefully, patiently crafted each of its characters quasi-perfection. Yeah, listen, that is one of the reasons why their shows just work and, and their properties just work. They invest the time and they do the legwork to build their characters and they do them well. 
It's not like you need an eight-episode arc to build up to having Bucky, but when you have Bucky, do character work with him whenever he's on screen. When you have Sam, do character work with him as he's on screen. Just don't show him fighting. Also have him going through something personal that he evolves as a character as he's fighting. And that is something they've done very, very well, and I hope they continue to do, man. All right, next up. Uh, John, you're 100% right. That is the greatest username, Rob, in the history of YouTube. Uh, John, you're 100% right, writes. Uh, Nick Jonas can act. I used to dislike him until Kingdom, especially the scene where Nick Jonas tells his father, Frank Grillo, that he's gay in the second to last episode. Best acting I've ever seen from both men in their lives. It's jaw-droppingly emotional. Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas are both super underrated. If anyone has seen the scene, uh, if anyone hasn't seen the scene, just YouTube search Nate coming out to Alvy. It's truly phenomenal. Uh, I know you didn't finish the show, John, but please watch that scene. It's such a real reaction with Emily live with Emmy live uh, level action uh, with Emmy level action. I did finish the show because I kind of tapped out on it. And continued to watch it. So I eventually went back and started watching the whole thing. And yes, you're right. The This came up the other day, Rob, because somebody asked a question about the possibility of Nick Jonas everywhere, ever winning an Oscar. And I said, listen, he's actually not bad. And he's getting better. Nick Jonas is actually getting better. And you're right. That scene in Kingdom between him and his dad being played by Frank Grillo, where he comes out to his dad. It's powerful stuff. It's really, mm. really well. Now, I'm still not saying, um, I'm still not saying he will win an Oscar at any point, but right. he he is, he's a legit actor. And I love Frank Grillo. I still can't believe Grillo's 53. When you, I still can't believe that dude's 53 when you look at him. It's it's crazy the shape that guy's in. Anyway, uh, yeah, so well said, man. All right, next up, Paul Mammer writes, one of two. Hey, John, continuing to love the show. Thank you so much. I've got a couple solutions for you and Aaron. No affiliations here. For you, your outdoor setup, I would suggest checking out the 75-inch Samsung Terrace. Yes, the Samsung Terrace is a great outdoor 75-inch beautiful television. The problem with it, though, is that it's $6,000. Actually, it's more than six. It's like $6,500. It's great, but it's a little bit outside the price range of what I want. Anyway, I set one up, and it's gorgeous. After hearing... Uh, Aaron's Endgame mishap. I recommend because Aaron tells a story about how she peed herself during Endgame because she couldn't get out to the bathroom. Um, I recommend the app Run Pee. She now has that app. She does have it now. Uh, it will tell you the best time to pee. No, uh, nobody has an X. First pee time is 31 minutes and 40 seconds. Hucks Hutch says to the bus driver, "Sorry about the mess." You can then click it to read what you missed. Also tells you yes or no if there's an end credit scene. Yeah, Run Pee is a great app. For people who either have small bladders or, like me, drink these giant bucket-sized things of Diet Coke, that if the movie gets over two hours and 15 minutes, I start to have a problem. The Run P app is amazing. All right, thanks for that recommendation, Paul. Next up, BK Dan writes, John, slight favor. Uh, not sure how many years been watching you at time. At time I subbed, at time I subbed you, you had just about one hundred twenty-five thousand subs. Uh, favors this. Can you ballpark a year for how long that is? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, YouTube or thank you and bring on the filthy again and again. By the way, love the sweatshirt. Uh, bought that one myself. I think yesterday I was wearing that. I can do this all day sweatshirt, but I don't know. It, it, 
maybe two years ago, year and a half ago. I, I honestly don't remember BK Dan. I could not tell you ballpark of, of when or where that was, but thank you so much for being with us along that journey. All right. Next yeah. up, BK Dan also writes, John was watching the video the other day and have to slightly disagree. The cast of Harry Potter were perfectly cast from one I say this because the cast for the upcoming Percy Jackson series, we shouldn't dismiss younger actors because they're only 12. Uh, they were, they were only 12 too. Well, first of all, Somebody brought up the the uh, the upcoming Percy Jackson series, Rob. Yep. And they are going to go younger, more accurate to the books. And I said, personally, I don't think that's the right move. Now, remember, I don't give a shit about the books. I never read the books. I don't give two squirts, squirts of urine <laughs> about the books. So don't, so don't at me about, let's add in the book. I don't care about the books. All I know is that I thought the first Percy Jackson movie was really good. I really enjoyed it. So I personally think I like the age range they went. Now, I never criticized the Harry Potter age range. It was very good, and those kids grew into the role, and that could work. I'm not sitting here saying, it is a fatal mistake for Percy Jackson to use younger actors. I never said that. I simply said, I prefer the other one. That's all. It doesn't mean it can't work. But I know, Rob, Rob what did you ever think about the first Percy Jackson movie? Like, uh, it gave I us, liked it. It gave us I Alexander mean, Daddario. I mean, that, that that's a pretty good thing. But, but yeah, what did you think about it? What do you think about their decision to go younger? I mean, look, the the thing about going younger is it obviously when actors are growing up, you know, at that age, they people grow up quickly and it allows you the time. You need more time if you're going to plan on making, you know, a series. Let's say it runs, I don't know, seven seasons. If they're lucky, uh, you're going to watch somebody grow up before your eyes. I mean, we watched the Harry Potter kids grow up before our eyes. I mean, they turned into young adults over the course of that se that series and because we're getting them every two years. And I I thought that the, it was better for it. And I think that doing that, going a little younger, it gives them time to even grow up more. So the show can be maybe cover more ground. Maybe that's what they're planning on. But the Percy Jackson, I only there's two films, right? Yes. It, Second it, one's I not only, as good as the first one. Yeah, I only saw the first film and I liked it. I mean, I didn't obviously I didn't know anything about the Percy Jackson series other than, you know, cursory knowledge, but I liked it. I mean, I didn't you know, it 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 was it was kind of an amalgamation of of a bunch of other things, which is fine. So was Harry Potter. And I uh I liked it. But the fact that they're going to do this series, I think is a is a good thing and it's good for fans of the books and maybe it'll make a legion of new fans. So, bring All it right. on. Next up We've got King Artros of Montevall writes, one of three. Hey, John and Rob, I was so excited to hear the news that production had started on House of the Dragon series. I'm a big fan of the TV show as well as the book series. And I remember Rob saying that the writers for the new show did not have any source material to work from. While it's true that they do not have a massive book series like the original A Song of Fire and Ice series, Martin has written about these characters that they will introduce in the new show. He talks about them in his uh, book, Fire and Blood. And there is a fantastic short story called The Princess and the Queen that is in the anthology book Dangerous Women. He also wrote a prequel short story about uh, Damon Tigerian being played by Matt Smith in the anthology book Rogues. And as always, bring on the filthy. And Rob, this came up again the other day because we got our first look at Matt Smith yep. uh, in that Targaryen outfit, which looked awesome with the trademark, uh, trademark uh, Targaryen, like long flowing white hair, which looked awesome. It looked great. Yep. And, you know, they're pointing out there is material. There are reference material that they can use to build on this show. I don't think you were ever saying that there was, there was nothing for them to draw on. You were just saying like, it's not like, 
it's just not being predicated on a full story that was written like some of the other stuff. But how, how would you address that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was saying. I mean, obviously, you know, we're now in our fourth season, the fourth season of the, our Game of Thrones re- rewatch. And the show is just so damn good um, in the third and fourth season. But I, I think, yeah, I mean, look, the same I think it has the same issue that the Lord of the Rings series has in that you're talking about an era that has been touched upon in the books, but we don't know, we don't have dialogue. And yes, there are short stories that deals deal with these characters, but what is the overall, you're talking about the Targaryen civil war, the dance of the dragons. And if you want to show, and we're look, our litmus, what we're looking for is, is something that's as good as game of Thrones was at its best, which means we're looking at it to be one of the best television shows of all time. That's a tall order. And I think, look, as long as they have thought this out, and as long as they know where they're going, I mean, they have a conclusion, they know where it winds up, as long as it becomes something that, you know, has has as many characters and has as much intrigue and as many different story threads that are really well crafted, I'm all for it. I just think it's it's a tough act to follow. It's a really hard thing to duplicate the success of Game of Thrones. And it ain't easy. No, so, and no, building any good show is not easy. It's always. A I think tough they thing. got a great cast, though. They definitely do. Patty they, Cass- Cassidy, yeah, I love Cassidy. Patty. All right, yeah, next up, uh, Chris Hunt writes: Sam Wilson can call himself the Falcon or Captain America, but we all know his real name, Clarence. And Clarence lives at home with. Oh, I know this. Uh, Clarence lives at home with both parents. Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. Is that not? I think that's a Eight Mile reference. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, at first, like, his real name's Clarence. Is that actually Anthony Mackey's real? No, no, that's an eight-mile. Oh, that's that's a deep one, Chris. Beastie that's a, Boys, too. No, my name's Clarence. That's that, Beastie that, Boys reference. That too. is a deep cut, Chris. Well done. All right, next up, uh, the Sock writes, as much as I love the Demon Slayer movie, yes, I agree, it's definitely not for you. It picks up right where season one left off and assumes you've watched the show. So if you haven't already seen the first season, you're not going to understand what's going on. Well, thanks for that, Sock. Rob, this has been an ongoing discussion because I was telling the story the other day that you know, w- when you look at what Demon Slayer was able to do, it made like $19 million domestically. Like that's that's amazing. I I was getting ready to buy tickets. I had the I had my uh, my MacBook open, I had the AMC page open, and I was getting ready to buy two tickets, you know, book them using our A-list to go to the Tyler Galleria AMC to go see. Uh, Demon Slayer. And so I just checked with Dan and said, Hey, baby, like everything's, are you got everything clear tonight? Would you feel like going to see this D- Demon Slayer thing? And she didn't know anything about it. I told her a bit. She goes, Yeah, I could do that. And she goes, Oh, look, there's a trailer. And I looked in the AMC page and there, yeah, there's a trailer. Great. I watched the trailer, hated it, closed the page. I didn't get the tickets. And like, I, that is a terrible trailer. Like, I don't care if you <laughs> love Demon Slayer. That's a terrible trailer they have out. But anyway, I've had more people write to me since and say, you know what? It's really just as much, just as well that you didn't go see it because a lot of people are telling me that if you don't watch the show, you're not going to get anything that's going on in there. It's not for anybody. To, it's not, it's not an introduction point for people. Just like a lot of MCU movies, you can go into any MCU movie at any time and it can all be a yeah. good introduction point. And people are telling me it's not. Have you had a chance to see this movie yet or have you watched the show at all? Do you know anything about no. it? No. No, I know nothing about it. I mean, I obviously know of the franchise, but I don't know anything. Yeah. So I am curious. I do like the fact that it did so much business. 
you know, again, that just great. opens up that opens up the possibilities to get more of these. Like, I would love to see more anime in theaters. You know, the the Neon Genesis Evangelion movies that I've been buying on um, Blu-ray, the fourth one's coming out. I'd really like to see that in a theater, like maybe even in IMAX. But I don't know if we'd ever get that. But I sure would like to see it in theaters. And there's a lot of stuff that we we just don't get over here unless you're looking at sometimes it opens in specialty foreign foreign theaters like when I went and saw Quiet Earth uh, because we're, we're close to where I live is a large Asian population of people that actually would go to see a Chinese movie in Chinese and I would like to see more of that so the success of this movie to me I think is great yeah it look success for anything is always good all right next up Dumbledore Calorie Scene writes hey John sorry it's been a while since I tipped dude you're no obligation to tip this show just being here is great man thank you for being here uh, but I just wanted to uh, I just want to say your show has been a great constant over the past year and has helped me take my mind off everything for just a little while every day. Thank you, sir, for all the hard work. Well, thank you so much, Dumbledore. And listen, it is, you know, Rob and I have talked about this a lot too. It has been a great privilege for Rob and I as well that we've been able to do, you know, the show because it has been a great you know, distraction for us as well in the midst of all the crap going on in the world to just take it together with fellow film fans and to talk about the stories we love. And it's just, it's therapeutic. It's cathartic. It's great on so many levels. So thank you, Dumbledore, for being here and being a part of that. And thank, it's always nice when somebody just wants to write in and say something encouraging. Thank you for that, Dumbledore. I appreciate that. Uh, Dumbledore also writes, uh, William Thatcher, can a man change his stars? Oh, that's from uh, uh, Knight's Tale. Can a man change his stars? John Thatcher. Yes, William. If he believes enough, a man can do anything. A Knight's Tale. This movie will always hold a special place in my heart. R.I.P. Heath Ledger. And that tearjerker moment, Rob, when he goes in and he finds his dad. <laughs> only see his dad is blind now and he talks to him. And it's a, it's a good life. Look, I always think Knight's Tale, although Paul Bettany, it introduced me to Paul Bettany. I mean, Paul yep. Bettany is so good in that movie. But I've never loved Knight's Tale the way a lot of people love Knight's Tale. My wife really loves that movie. But there are, moments, there are moments that Rufus Sewell plays a great villain in it. He always does. But it, th that's a definitely kind of a little bit of a tearjerker moment. I, I do like that when he's talking to his dad. Do you, do you, yeah. what did you think of Knight's Tale? Well, it, it, for me, I mean, it was a little gimmicky, obviously, because the music, but yeah. um, it, it's fun. You know, I liked it. Uh, it, it, it I, you know what I think about it? It was exactly what it wanted to be. Like, I don't think it set out to do something that it didn't achieve. It set out to do, ex and and it, it wanted to tell a certain story using contemporary music and all that, and it did. And I, I think that people like it because it delivers upon its promise. When you go in, and that's what I think you can only ask of of any movie. I mean, it's the same thing we talked about Pacific Rim earlier. A lot of people are like, ah, I thought, it, but Pacific Rim gave me exactly what I wanted it to give me. And I think A Knight's Tale does that too. Like, if you know what it's about going in, and I, I got exactly out of it. I saw it in the theater as well, and I, I liked it. I thought it was good. One of the great things about it was it introduced us to an actress, I, uh, Shannon Sossaman. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, who is just stunningly beautiful. Like, she is stunning stunningly beautiful. And I never saw her do much after that until there was a show. Uh, what was the show on Fox recently uh, about 
uh, it's based on the thing the the legend of the headless horseman it was on fox sleepy it, hollow sleepy hollow i then she she was the villain of the season i think she was pandora of pandora's box anyway and then during i think it was in like my last somewhere in my last days at amc or collide or whatever um a PR person wrote to me and said, would I be interested in having her come into studio to sit down and talk about an upcoming project she had? And I'm like, well, I was watching sleepy hollow and I've always, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I never did. I, this is long after I stopped doing celebrity interviews. Cause I just, I didn't care about celebrity interviews anymore. I started sending other people to do them, but to sit down with her and I'm telling you what, man, 20 years later, 20 years later, she is as stunningly beautiful as she ever was. She's just absolutely like jaw-droppingly beautiful. Anyway, the, there, there's that little side story. Anyway, okay, uh, we move on now. Uh, Suthius writes, a lot of fans are disappointed that Luke wasn't the same as he was 40 or 50 years ago and that Sharon is no longer Peggy's goody two-shoes niece. My perspective is, well, much like real-life people, fictional characters can and will change over time, verisimilitude. I agree. I've always thought that about Luke, but then again, Rob, I will have a debate with anybody and I will win every time. I will have a debate with anybody that Luke in The Last Jedi is incredibly consistent with what we know of the characteristics of Luke Skywalker. Doesn't mean you had to like what they did. I'm not saying that, but uh, anybody who says that wasn't Luke, I'm saying then you, I'm sorry, you never watched the original Star Wars films. It doesn't mean that you had to like what they did, but it was whatever. But the thing with Sharon... I actually love what they did with Sharon. It, it is, it is, they are doing something with Sharon that they have not done with any of their characters in 13 years. They've taken a character who's been a hero for seven films, for several films, had something happen to them that is a classic villain turn trope of betrayal and had that affect them and kind of turn them dark. And they've never done that in the MCU before. And I really like what they're doing. I don't know. What do you think about uh, what they've done with Sharon? Look, I, I, I agree with you. Why, you know, and I think that, that when people talk about, oh, they can't turn her into a villain, but think about what's happened to her personally. Everyone's basing it on the fact that, well, Peggy Carter would never, that would never happen to Peggy or whatever, but Sharon's not that person. And it's a whole different path. And, and it, it is ultimately, it's the result. It's the culmination of things that have been going on beginning in the, the Sokovia Accords, not everything went according to plan. People wound up in jail on the raft. I mean, there was there was all kinds of things happening there, and Sharon was somebody that had to make the best of a situation, and she realizes the world is not black and white, and um, things are, are mad bad. People are mad bad and dangerous to know sometimes, and that's what's happened to her, even though well, we'll see. You know, maybe if it's armor wars. I, I like the idea that's somebody because it's good drama. Yeah. You know, it's it, it uh, what a great villain she can be and then she can come back to the light side or maybe not, maybe she'll be a tragic villain, who knows, but I'm all for it, John. That's what makes good drama and uh it makes it more interesting. All right, next up We've got Jesse who writes, one of two. I stumbled across a screenshot I took from 2019 of Kevin Feige's original plan for phase four, and I hadn't realized just how bad COVID messed it up. Yeah, it did a number on a lot of things. Uh, we were supposed to have seen uh, Black Widow, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Eternals, and Shang-Chi before WandaVision. Uh, then WandaVision was supposed to lead directly into Doctor Strange 2 a few weeks later, followed by Loki. What if 
Hawkeye and Thor Love and Thunder in November. Uh, it's crazy to see how much they have had to shuffle their plans in order for it to still work. And Rob, listen, this is something, I think this speaks to something I've been saying for a long time about the nature of the MCU. I've said for a long time that one of the key things to the overall popularity of the MCU is that Kevin Feige has very intentionally made it. So if you are a movie fan, you can jump on this train whenever you'd like, and you're not going to be lost. Like right. I had, I saw, I remember I saw Endgame with somebody who had seen one or two Marvel MCU films before, and while they weren't able to get all the nuance of it, obviously, they were not lost at all. They were able to totally follow along with what was happening. They understood what was going on. Some of the things would have gone over the head, sure. And that's the brilliance of it. Because at no point does, does Marvel make a movie where they go, oh, well, you're not really going to get this movie unless you go back and watch these seven other films. Yes. That would alienate audiences. And the reason the MCU has been able to grow and grow and grow is that they'll put in that stuff that rewards you if you have seen everything else. But if you're a new fan, don't you work? Like, if you've never seen an MCU film, you don't have to worry about going to see Black Widow. You can go into Black Widow and you're going to be able to be entertained and have a good time and you won't catch every bit of nuance obviously but you're going to be you're not going to be lost and that's what they've done and the very fact Rob that Marvel has been able to rearrange their schedule so dramatically from what the original plan was due to COVID I think that's just a testimony to the fact that Kevin Feige always makes sure this is a part of a bigger story but it's also its own movie. Yep. And I think that's, I don't know, what's your observation on that? No, I, I mean, I think it's, you're absolutely right. And, and that's a tough thing to do where it's like last time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they don't have to do that, you know? And, and they're, like you said, the movies work on their own and then as well as a part of a bigger tapestry. And I think that's something that is, one of the geniuses of the MCU. And it's a hard, John, it's a hard thing to do because a lot of these narrative threads, you know, with civil war, if you haven't seen age of Ultron, you might not understand what happened with the Sokovia Accords, but it's presented in such a way where you get it, you know, that, okay, there, this incident happened in the past and it caused this thing to happen and here are the Accords and you're off to the races when you see the, the split between the heroes. And you don't need to know anything more than that. You understand that something happened in the past, but it doesn't hamper your enjoyment of what you're watching. And then how great is it? You can go back and watch Age of Ultron and go, oh, now I see what happened here. And that's that's pretty amazing. Now, and then, then when you watch them together, they have that much more resonance yeah. when you've seen them both. Now, of course, I would be all for it. I think a lot of people would love this. A lot of people have said stuff like this. If every MCU movie opened with a five-minute Michael Pena Luis, previously in the MCU, and they need Michael Pena as Luis running down the pertinent information, blah, 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 and then you go, I'm all for it. Anything to get Michael Pena into more of this stuff, I am completely all for. That well, is a national they should, treasure. They should do that on, on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Like before before any show, like they have like the Michael Pena takes you through the MCU film by film by film and do it as a special feature for every every movie that's up there. I, I'm not I'm not against that. All right. Next up. 
Hand Soul O writes, so John, Bill de Blasio just said this morning that New York City will be 100% open on July 1st, just in time for a certain MCU movie to drop. Thoughts? Yeah, um, we're hearing that by July. Now listen, things change day by day. We are still in the pandemic. We are in recovery. We are seeing good positive signs. I'm fully vaxxed. Uh, a lot of people are more getting more and more vaxxed every day. Kudos to the government for rolling that out properly. But the reality is, let's also not forget about what's happening in India. And let's not forget that, you know, anything can change overnight. But let's let's just go that everything continues. Let's just assume for a moment that everything continues to go well. Yeah, I, I'm hearing that come July that movie theaters in Los Angeles, New York, everything can be fully open without restrictions, that that's, that's in their plans, at least right now, although that could go sideways very quick. But if that does happen, the question has come, Rob, will Disney reevaluate their decision to have Black Widow release on Disney Plus as a premium $30 access mm-hmm. and in theaters at the same time? If I'll say this. If we continue... And this is a huge if. This is all speculation. It's a big if. But if things continue to go well and we get midway through June, say two weeks into June, I wouldn't be shocked to hear that Disney changes their plans and just says, you know what? We're going to make a lot of money on this in theaters. Let's just put it theatrically, period, and just do it as exclusive. I wouldn't be surprised. Right now, I'd say it's a 50-50. Rob, what do you think the odds are right now that Disney alters their plans of having a premium release and a theatrical release at the same time and just go theatrical? I think you could be correct about that. You, you put it at 50-50? That, uh, 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 you know, 50-50, I think that's pretty good because if you start looking at the box office of these mo- other movies that have come out and Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong being the biggest, uh, there's a lot of money can you imagine that that's a lot of money that that movie made? And, and with a Marvel movie, they're probably going to make more. It'll, I'm sure it'll smoke Godzilla versus Kong. It'll make even more money. What if they made half a million or half a billion dollars? They would be very happy with that. Yeah. And I think you might be right. And then that's still, that's still two months away, man. And a lot can happen. I mean, look at how many people have been vaxxed in the last two months. And if New York opens, LA is supposed to be reopened in June entirely uh why not all right let's get one more in here with robert still here shall we jesse writes one of two also now seeing the original release schedule begs a question i've been with you that dr strange 2 will close the multiverse but uh if no way home is connected to dr strange and deals with multiverse uh dr strange is supposed to come out before spider-man uh it makes me wonder how they're going to do a three movie arc if uh two of the films are out of their original order unless they're going to shove a Spider-Man film between WandaVision and Doctor Strange originally. How connected can these films really be? Well, see, here's the thing, Rob, and and this is what's been going on a lot. Like, they are connected. It doesn't mean they are chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. Right. right? Like, there is, obviously, now that we've seen WandaVision, it is, Kevin Feige said, it's connected to Doctor Strange 2. 
Well, obviously it is connected, but it's not like Doctor Strange 2 is building on the story of the little town that was taken over by Wanda Maximoff. No, no, no. It's going to be, there's going to be a connection. I also believe there's going to be a connection with Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't think it is a three-part story part, and they're all completely reliant on each other. I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to be connected. And yeah, I still think, Rob, if I had to bet $1, I wouldn't bet five. If I had to bet $1, my bet right now that I can totally change my mind about in the coming weeks is that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, its main story is going to be about how the very fabric of reality and time is being destroyed because of all the multiverse stuff and that the whole movie is going to be about Doctor Strange shutting down the multiverse and then us kind of like what they did in the comic books, Rob, when they had to reel everything in with Crisis. And then they just went forward with one reality. But but I don't know. We'll see. Rob, how connected do you think these movies are going to be how, how necessary is it for them to be like totally connected are they going to be loosely connected and what do you think dr strange is going to be about well i think they're going to be a little bit more connected perhaps than we we're, we're used to seeing i i think that uh between wandavision spider-man and dr strange i think we're getting you know like i've said before like a, a summer event crossover annual special like in the annuals that they release once a year they'd have a pretty pretty uh, a story that would cross over different books. And I think it'll be sort of a mini series within the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, unto itself, though. And I but yet, like we've always seen, if you haven't seen Spider-Man, you'll still get what's going on in Doctor Strange. It'll be different enough. Um, But if you see them both together and you see WandaVision, I think it'll tell you even more of a more of a story. But I, I think you might be right about that in terms of there's some kind of a space-time tear. Now, that's different from the quantum realm. Maybe it has to do with the Infinity Stones being replaced or not, and they're going to have to do something about that. But I think I think ending on uh, putting an end to the multiverse, because if you don't, it, it, it turns the Marvel Cinematic Universe into something where no consequences remain because you can just I can just go pluck somebody out from a different universe and bring them back here if they're dead let's go get Black Widow let's go to Vormir let's not make it happen that she sacrificed herself it 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 will undermine I think what they've built so they have to address it and then end it and so I think you're probably right about that and I think it's a it's 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 a good way to go I agree and Rob Thanks again for being here and uh, for being a part of this week. I know you've got a great weekend ahead of yourself. I hope everyone does. But Rob, in the meantime, where can people follow you and all of your goodness online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. There's been a lot of people coming to follow me on Instagram, so thank you for that. And also you can find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, and we'll talk to you again next week, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, guys, we still have some time, so let's keep going through your live comments and questions, shall we? Uh, We're going to keep things going here with Charlie N., who writes, Hey, John, not sure if you've seen the multiple pages reporting that Marvel Studios is eyeing Zach. No, 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 no. This is, okay, look, let me finish reading this and let's get to this. All right. Uh, Eyeing Zack Snyder for a Ghost Rider reboot. It's probably bogus. That said, hypothetically speaking, could you see Snyder in the MCU? Bring on the filthy. All right, let's be very clear here. Um, never believe any, look, look at say, don't just say multiple pages. It's all coming from the same bullshit place. It's coming from, we got this and it also originated from a website called geekosity. Now 
I'm not saying anything negative about those things, but these are not legitimate news sites. These, this is not, just like the John Campy show, is not a legitimate news site. I don't break news because I'm, whatever. It is not The Hollywood Reporter. It's not Variety. It's not The Wrap. It's not Entertainment Weekly. It's blah, blah, blah. It comes from these sites that have, like, whatever. So just because another site repeats what that site said, that doesn't make it more legit. So no, there is absolutely no truth uh, to that rumor whatsoever. Not saying that it's impossible that a director of the caliber of a Zack Snyder can't someday do an MCU movie. I'm, I'm definitely not suggesting that. All I'm saying is that there is absolutely uh, zero truth to this particular rumor, and it does not come from any legitimate news site. Just saying that. All right, next up. Um, and again, let me let me reemphasize. I'm not saying that things like those sites aren't great sites in and of themselves. I'm just saying, like the John Campus show, it's not a place you go to to get breaking news. And if it's not in one of the real things, that no, there is no truth to the Zack Snyder doing a ghostwriter. All right, next up, uh, Suthius writes. Uh, Mr. C, you said that you think the Multiverse of Madness would possibly shut down the multiverse. I, however, think Multiverse of Madness uh, would be just the beginning of the multiverse storylines. MCU is getting more strange and crazy, especially uh, involving multiverse and quantum realm. I, I think they're going too far. I think the, you go more and more into that, I think it's going to alienate more and more people. Their best stuff is their more grounded stuff. You know, we just had these terrific things with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision and, and stuff like that. And so, I mean, look, again, I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying that Doctor Strange 2 is definitely going to shut down the multiverse. If I had to bet $1, I would bet that it would. But it's not 100%, and I have no insider information. I'm speculating just like you're speculating. So we'll see. I mean, maybe they could blow it all wide open. I personally think that's this is when they're going to start to reel it in. Um, and, uh, again, there's precedence for stuff like this in the comic books. It doesn't mean that's the way they're going to do it. I'm just saying there's some precedence. So we'll see where they go. You could be right, Suthius. You could be right. All right. Next up. Um, tall Tyrion Lannister, 69 writes. I like that name. Writes, hey, John from the UK. How on earth did you manage to play poker with Bruce Buffer? Uh, is he magnificent in person as he is on TV? Also, do you ever plan on doing reaction videos straight after UFC, uh, such as, uh, UFC 261, I tend to always agree with your UFC opinions. Well, listen, you shouldn't listen to somebody because you agree with their opinions. That's not a good basis because, like, what happens if I say things you don't agree? Like, I personally like to listen to commentators, not based on whether or not I agree with them, but based on whether or not if I appreciate the way they break down and express their point of view. Regardless of whether I agree with their point of view or not, I can always appreciate and learn something from somebody else who's giving their point of view if they're really good at communicating their point of view. That being said, uh, I have no desire to uh, – no, it's not that I have no desire. I have no time to do UFC reaction stuff. I just don't. And it's not, it's really not what my YouTube channel is about. So it, I, I don't know that I would find an audience. Listen, I would love nothing more than to do another YouTube channel that focuses on more sports. Uh, I'm a big sports guy. I would love to talk NFL draft and I would love to talk about the upcoming season and I would love to talk UFC, but I just don't have time. I have I struggle with having the time to do my own show, to be honest with you, but uh, I just don't have time, so probably not. And Bruce Buffer is an avid, avid poker player, and I just so happened uh, to be at, I believe it was the Bicycle Casino in Los Angeles. I believe it, it might have been Commerce, but I think it was the Bicycle Casino in, in Los Angeles playing in what's known as the Legends of Poker Tournament. 
I think it was the Legends of Poker tournament, and Bruce Buffer was there. He's an avid poker player. This is years ago, and I just so happened to be lucky enough to be at the table with, uh, be at the same table as uh, as Bruce Buffer, and uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. Anyway, uh, next up, we go to uh, Jay Bling writes. Now that I've gotten my second vaccination, good on you, man. My first proper outing will be seeing Wrath of Man next Friday. I am very excited about Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, new movie, Wrath of Man. The Red Band trailer came out yesterday. It was even better than the first trailer. Cannot wait to see this. And I have AMC Stubbs rewards for my birthday in December for a large popcorn and soda that are still valid. So damned if I don't see those. Yeah, man, I'm telling you what. Now that Ann and I are both vaccinated, um, we are now opening, like we're, st- we still want to be responsible, but we're opening up a little bit our op- options of things we want to do. For instance, we are now thinking about for the first time in over a year, taking a trip to Vegas. We're thinking about taking a trip to Vegas. We just, uh, love some of the hotels there and the resorts and playing, going to top golf. We love playing top golf in Vegas, um, uh, things like that. And that's something we wouldn't have considered before, but now we get to, so it's, it's great that now we get to consider stuff like that, Jay Blink. So I hope you have a great time, man. I know I am also going to go be be uh, going to see Wrath of Man as well. Simon writes, hearing about DC fandom just doesn't get me excited like I used to, if it's okay to just express my feelings. And it's not because of Snyder. Don't get me wrong. Snyder is talented, and I enjoy his interpretation of the DC characters on film. Uh, go to second. Um, continued. However, my change stems from how Warner Brothers handles the DC universe. I think they either need to have Hamada uh, to have more direction like Feige or develop someone to take on the Feige role for DC. So I am sad to say that if DC dissolves, then uh, I will not lose any sleep because I can enjoy watching the MCU. This comes from a DC fan of over 40 plus years. Just my own personal thought. Well, listen, I'll be honest with you. I think they have really gotten things on track with DC. Um, They had a bit of a rough start, and I think that came from a lot of regime changes. Like every six months, it was a different, different people were in charge. Now these people are in charge of DC. Now this person's been promoted. Now this, once they got Hamada in his position, I feel like things have stabilized a lot more. They're not completely on track yet, but... You know, in that time period, we've had a billion-dollar film in Aquaman. We had the extremely excellent Shazam movie. Uh, we had Joker has done well. We've got this exciting Batman project from uh, from uh, uh, Matt Reeves that we're all very stoked about. I think we have some. I think DC's in a very good place right now. I think they are in a very, very good place right now. And I'm excited to see all the stuff that they have coming down the pike. I'm sure it's not all going to be gold, but I am personally very excited to see what they do. And again, this new Batman film, very stoked about. They've got an Andy Muschietti directing a Flash movie. I think Muschietti's a very, very talented filmmaker. It's going to be exciting to see what they do there. Um, There's just a lot of stuff on the go. So I think we are just at the beginning of seeing what this whole Hamada era is really going to look like. And it's not just Hamada, but... But again, I right now I feel very good about DC. So we'll we'll see, man. We'll see where they go. All right. Uh, next up, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Simon. I appreciate that, man. Next up, Grogu Gaju writes, uh, Gemma Chan as the lead in a Chloe Zhao movie. This will literally be the most beautiful movie ever made, right? So we talked yesterday on the show about how um, Gemma Chan uh, and her character Cersei 
Uh, Kevin Feige said, listen, this is an ensemble movie, but if there was one lead character, it would probably be Cersei being played by Gemma Chan, who was obviously already in the MCU in the Captain Marvel movie. Now she's playing a different character. Uh, but yeah, man, after Nomad Land is so bloody effing good. Like, that movie's so good. And what Chloe Zhao was able to do with that, now she's directing Eternals and Gemma Chan is just, just delightful. So yeah, I'm very much excited about this one, man. All right, Bojax writes, Hey, John, lately I've seen Nate Moore appear in interviews when it comes to MCU-related movies and shows. As one of Marvel's executive producers and a long-standing comic book fan, do you think he's being groomed by Feige to eventually take over? No, I don't. Um, there's There are other people who are online um, to take that spot first. As a matter of fact, uh, who's is, is it Desposito? I think it's Desposito um, is next in line to do that. So listen, I think Feige, I think he's already planning his exit out of the MCU. I'm not basing that on any actual factual information. This is just me speculating. Uh, I think he's already planning his exit strategy over Marvel, uh, whether that'll be in two years, three years, five years, whatever. I think guys like him need new mountains and need new challenges to conquer. But uh, no, I don't think uh, I don't think he's the next one in line. I don't. Uh, okay, next up, uh, next up, where are we at here? We are at uh, Bojax writes. Uh, as a fellow YouTube TV user, I wanted to let you know something I discovered. The video quality of shows improves a lot if you watch the VOD version instead of the DVR. Uh, it sucks that I have to watch commercials for better quality, but that's the trade-off. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. That's generally how I watch them anyway. Like, e although certain shows are made to watch on Hulu, that's fine. I haven't noticed a big quality difference myself, to be honest with you. But yes, when you do the DVR uh, and you record the shows, you're able to fast forward through the ads. When you're VODing it, you don't get to fast forward through the ads. Either way, I don't really mind. I don't really mind. Like, it's not it's not the same on something like Hulu where I pay the extra fee for no commercials. So on YouTube TV, I know I'm watching a broadcast stream. And so I don't mind there being ads so much, but uh, I've never really noticed a difference. Um, uh, I've never really noticed a difference in the quality of myself. But now that you've mentioned it, Bojax, I will go and uh, pay closer attention to it. All right. BK Dan writes, John, I have to take Rob's side as far as commercials go on streaming services. I have to have them for live TV, but I am willing to pay for the, for the premium tier for no commercials. Well, no, listen, you're not, I'm, I, you're misrepresenting the side. I just said I pay for the extra tier for Hulu to not have commercials. All things being equal, I would rather not have commercials and I will pay a little bit more to have no commercials. That's why I said on yesterday's show that HBO only offering a $5 discount to get the ads version. I mean, that's not enough to... Like, it's only a $5 difference. I'll pay the extra five bucks to get no commercials. The issue is, how much is it worth to you? Right? Because I'll pay five, seven, ten dollars a month extra to get no commercials, but I won't pay $30 extra to get no commercials. I won't pay $50 extra to net no to get no commercials. Like, if if the thing is I can pay, you know. $15 to 
to watch it with a couple of ad breaks, or I can pay $45 to get no ads, I'll probably take the $15 option. I'm not going to pay 30 extra bucks just to avoid a couple of small ad breaks. I will pay five extra dollars. Hell, I'll probably pay 10 extra dollars. But it, it all it all comes down to how much is it worth to you, right? Like, I love cookies and cream ice cream. I would pay $10 to have a delicious bowl of cookies and cream ice cream brought into me right now. But would I pay $100 to have a delicious bowl of cookies and cream ice cream bought, brought into me? No, I am not going to pay $100. I want it but it's not worth it. So it's, it's all a question of how much is it worth to you? Would you pay five extra dollars to get no commercials? I would. Would you pay 10 extra dollars to get no commercials? I still would. Would you pay 30 more dollars a month to avoid a couple of commercials? I don't know that I would pay 30 extra. Now, Rob would, maybe you would too, but it's all about of how much is it worth to you? We all agree. We would all rather have no commercials. But how much is it worth to you? Is it worth five? Is it worth 10? Is it worth 30? Is it worth 50? That's that's the question we were asking. All right, next up. Um, uh, Venkat Ram Saran writes, uh, India is chaos and hell right now. Yeah, I, I keep seeing in the news how terrible the situation is right now. Our thoughts are with you guys. Uh, basically, it's apocalypse. My best friend called me this morning saying that if he tested positive, saying that he tested positive. So most of my uh, families and friends, uh, it's been all doom and gloom since morning. Thank you for your wishes. Your show is my mind off it for today. Yeah, listen, I, I was watching this one report on it that like cemeteries can't keep up right now. I I mean, that's, it's that horrible that cemeteries cannot keep up and that like, they're like taking out sports fields to build funeral pyres, to burn bodies in mass. I I mean, it's just, you're right. It's, it's apocalypse level stuff. It is just crazy. And I mean, it almost feels a little insensitive to celebrate the fact that it seems like we're turning a corner on the COVID pandemic here but it, it's still very, very bad in some places in the world. And again, uh, Venkat, our, our thoughts are with you guys. I, I really hope you guys are able to, to navigate this and make your way out of it. All right, next up. Narf writes, they announced that New York City businesses like theaters, et cetera, can be open fully capacity by July 1st. Masks as of now are still in effect. This is big news, especially for upcoming blockbuster movies. Absolutely it is. And again, this is all contingent on things continuing to go well. People, Wear masks, be considerate of others around you, uh, get vaccinated, do the smart things, and uh, let's not have the unfortunate situation that's happening to our film-loving brothers and sisters in India uh, happen here. So let's continue to be smart, and hopefully July 1st, for places like New York and others, we'll be able to get in there. All right, next up. It's all groovy, writes. Uh, greetings to the John Campus Show. I've been watching old episodes of The Golden Girls. Don't laugh. My, my wife loves old episodes of The Golden Girls. And I've come to really appreciate the comedic timing and facial expressions of Bay Author. Bay Author was a legend. Like, even before Golden Girls, she was a legend in the industry. Are there any old TV shows that you go back and watch now and find new respect for? As a matter of fact, you know, it's funny you mention that. I was in, I was at uh, the UFC training center today. And I was just on a treadmill this morning and they'll have a bunch of TVs up and around. And one of the shows that was on, 
I don't know why it was on one of the screens. Like most of the screens have ESPN and Fox Sports and, you know, stuff like that up. But one of the TVs uh, put on, and by the way, my old my old website, The Movie Blog, put in a, a $5 super chat uh, in, the, uh, in the live chat there. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that, uh, everybody. Um, one of the shows I was on was a show I used to watch as a kid. And I can, every once in a while, I will pop one on. Don't laugh at me. Matlock. I really like Matlock. I'm going to see if I can find a, 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 an image of this. Hold on a second. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. But Andy Griffin, the great Andy Griffin. Uh, let me see if I can get this on here. Yes, there it is. Matlock. I don't know why. I got a big kick out of Matlock. And when I go back and watch like some some old episodes of Matlock, I'm like, this show was a little bit kind of ahead of its time. Like it was the great legal drama, but it was also funny and charming and all that kind of stuff. And I liked Matlock. I don't care what anybody says. I liked Matlock. So yes, that one, um, that one is one I, I continue to have a real appreciation for. All right, got time for just a couple more here, guys. Mike uh, Rusetta writes, Hey, John, greetings from Mississauga. I love Mississauga. Right there, flying in there at Pearson International Airport. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Justice League 4K trailer? Warner Brothers dropped 2K, uh, 2,000 likes, 28,000 dislikes. Uh, like, do they not understand after having a juicy strip loin, people won't go back to jerky? Um, uh, what can I tell you? Uh, look, I'm not going to get into the whole debate of this again. I'm not going to be drawn into that. Um, the I like the theatrical version of Justice League. I do. I, I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. Now, I think the HBO Max version was way over bloated and should have had 40 minutes edited out of it. But I did think the HBO version of it was even better. I thought it was, you know, we get in all the stuff with Cyborg. You get more into the characters. There's just more there. I still contend, and by the way, Russell Amador sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Russell. Appreciate that. Uh, I still contend that when you look at, you know, there's there's something I misquoted on a lot where I say Joss Whedon saved Justice League, and he did, but people ignore what I meant by that because I've always said this. I don't mean that Joss Whedon saved Justice League from Zack Snyder. Not at all. If you guys have watched me for any period of time, you know I really like Zack Snyder's DC work. When I say that Joss Whedon saved Justice League, what I've always been very specific about explaining is that when you look at the scenario that Warner Brothers didn't like, I mean, whether they were right or wrong to feel this way, but Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, didn't like the movie that Zack Snyder was putting together that Warner Brothers had already decided they were moving on from Snyderverse. So a lot of stuff in the movie that was there that was leading into other stuff later on that they were no longer going to do, they were going to remove. And they went to a director and said, okay, we want this completely changed. We want you to take out all this stuff. We want you to cut it in half. So make it no longer than two hours. And... You get no time to do it. You are still have to make the release date. 
because Kevin Sujahara wanted his bonus. The, the former CEO of Warner Brothers wanted his bonus from AT&T. So they had no, so you got to cut the movie in half, still find a way to make it make sense, take out all this other stuff. You got no time to do it. Go. I am telling you 95% of the directors out there never would have been able to do it. And so when I say that Joss Whedon saved Justice League, what I mean is literally he saved the movie under those circumstances because that thing just never would have came out. I think 95% of the directors out there never would have been able to accomplish what Whedon was able to accomplish under those circumstances. You got to cut it in half. You got to take all this stuff out. You got to change this and this. And we're giving you no extra time to do it. It, it took a remarkable thing just to get that movie out. And I liked it. Not as much as the HBO version, but I liked it. Now, we can argue and debate about whether and how dumb Warner Brothers was to create this situation in the first place. And that's a worth, worthwhile conversation of having. But, yeah, they're re-releasing the theatrical version, the 4K version. I got no problem with it. I like it. I prefer the HBO one, but I like it. So, if people want to whine and cry about it, let people whine and cry about it. But it is what it is. They're moving on. So be it. Uh, people should just be happy that they got what they wanted to see. And now it's time to move on. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Mitzer Lara writes, John, love your show. Thank you so much. To us, you're a movie analyst. Uh, a sports guy analogy. Wouldn't wouldn't skipping the Oscars be the same as, the, as NBA uh, analysts skipping the finals last year because the competition wasn't top notch. Uh, how do you feel about the the people that won? Thanks. Well, now listen, I I'm just being consistent with how. Look, I am a first and foremost, I am a film fan. All right, first and foremost, I am a film fan. And as I was proven right, for many reasons, they never should have had an Oscars this year. For eight, nine, ten different reasons they should not have had an Oscars this year. And when you now look at the train wreck of the Oscar show that they put on, particularly because of all the circumstances surrounding it, I was right. They've damaged the Oscar brand by moving ahead with it. It came across as completely tone deaf. They made a lot of mistakes. It never should have happened. And so I was not interested in the show. As a film fan, for the first time in my life, I was not interested in the Oscars. And so when the Oscars were on, I had no desire to watch it because the show shouldn't have even happened this year. Now, the day after the Oscars, whether I think the Oscars should have happened or not, there were Oscars given out and there were winners declared. And so the next day on my show, we talked about some of them because, I mean, I, I still had no interest in the award ceremony this year, but there are winners. We talked about it. Obviously, we talked about the Anthony Hopkins situation. We talked about the Chloe, uh, Chloe Zhao situation. Uh, we talked about uh, several of stuff. So overall, I thought I had no problems with any of the winners lists. I thought that I think pretty much the Oscars got it right across the board. Now, every year there are certain there certainly there are categories where I feel like they got it wrong, but it's all subjective. But I felt good about pretty much all the winners they had this year. As you go down the list from, you know, supporting actor, supporting actress, lead actress, uh, I thought I, I particularly thought they nailed the big ones. Right. Best picture. No brainer should have gone to Nomadland. Uh, I thought Anthony Hopkins, even though it was a completely stacked category, I thought any of the nominees could have won and I would have had no complaints. But. I did feel like the best out of all those great performances was Anthony Hopkins in The Father. 
And so I thought they nailed that one. Um, Frances McDormand to me was a no brainer should have won best actress. And she did, uh, Daniel winning best supporting actor and all the way down the list. I actually thought the winner's list was pretty good. Again, the show never should have happened. The show never should have happened. They never should have done an Oscars this year. And now they are worse off because they did. They're completely worse. They damaged the, the identity of the Oscars by moving ahead and doing it anyway. They would have been much better off to just cancel this year and picked up next year, rolled all the potential categories into next year as well, and they didn't, and that was a mistake. But that is not the fault of the people who won the awards. That is not the fault of the designers and the composers and the writers and the directors and the actors and the cinematographers and those who got to be honored that night. So good on them. Congratulations to them. I'm just saying they never should have had a show. And the results kind of prove that to be accurate. Um, Anyway. Listen, guys, there's still some more to go from Daryl Best Wadley, Spencer, Ryan Lohner, and on. Do not worry, guys. I'm going to do companion. Actually, there's not too terribly many more to go. But listen, I'm going to do a companion video this weekend, and we will get through all of the remaining questions. There's actually not a ton left, so we'll get through all of them. But we have run out of time now today for this installment of the John Campia Show. By the way, guys, here's an announcement. Got an announcement here. Don't go anywhere. Here's the announcement. Okay, so you guys know that uh, I I decided that we were going to try switching the start time of the John Campia show to 12 noon Pacific Standard Time uh, instead of the regular 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And this week, we have done that. And once we get to the end of the week, I decided to put up a poll on uh, the channel, and I asked you guys, I said, hey, guys, now that we've been doing the new start time of 12 p.m., simple question, How do you prefer the 12 p.m. start time or do you like the previous 10 a.m. start time? And the number one answer was, well, we don't watch the show live, so it doesn't matter. That was 45%. But at 12 p.m. and 10 a.m., more than double of you guys said, more than double of you guys said you prefer the 10 a.m. start time. So I do this show for you guys. And even though I kind of like doing it at 12, it makes it a much easier morning for me. It means I can actually get a workout in in the morning instead of in the afternoon. But you guys have spoken by more than double the amount. You guys say you prefer the 10 a.m. start time. So starting on Monday, we've done a one week experiment with it at noon. Doesn't work for you guys as well. So I respect that. We are going to go back starting Monday to doing 10 a.m. Los Angeles time. So that'll be 1 p.m. New York time. You guys can figure it out whatever time that means for you. So again, on Monday, we are going to go back to our regular start time of 10 a.m. Thank you guys for letting me try a week at, of doing it at noon. I appreciate you guys' patience and letting me try it out. You guys let me try it out and it didn't work for you. So we're going to go back to 10 a.m. starting on Monday. So just want to let you guys know that. All right, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campus Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for lending his voice to this. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show 
thank you guys so much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget this weekend, we will be doing a companion video, get all the rest of the questions cleared up. And then, of course, we'll be back again on Monday. So, guys, in the meantime, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.